Welcome back to the podcast on everything. I have Peter Flood with me again. Um, this is a special edition podcast. It is The Last Dance, episode one and two recap. This is the Chicago Bulls documentary about the 97-98 season. And it is catching basically the sports world um, by storm right now because nothing else is really going on in the sports world. The NFL draft is starting, but everyone is talking about this podcast or this um, documentary. So this podcast, what we're going to do is fill you in on some of the highlights, the best moments, the things that we remember, and the stuff that um, we didn't know um, growing up about the 97, 98 Bulls and Jordan and Pippen, because that's basically what they uh, they focused on right here. So uh, thank you, Peter, for joining me on this podcast today. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah. Um, so, how old were you when the 97-98 Bulls um, were on the court? I turned five that season. Nice. Yeah, I was a little bit older. I was uh, like 11 and 12, and I kind of remember it a little bit. But when I started watching this documentary, I had no idea that there was turmoil. Even in my 20s, I didn't know that they had turmoil like this um, with the Bulls. I just... Assume that, you know, he won three more, and that shouldn't be a spoiler. Um, Yeah, so they won three more, and then I just assumed that he was like, all right, I proved that I'm still the best and retired, and then people just went and did their own thing. But the pod, it, it starts out with this is the last year that they're going to be together, and they all know it. So um, Phil Jackson called it the last dance as their playbook for the year. And then what happens is they go through each individual um, person and they focused a lot on the first episode, which we're going to discuss on Michael Jordan and his upbringing, his upbringing, uh, Jerry Krause, the GM, and also Phil Jackson and his position with the team. Um, Do you want to, take the lead on any of those right now, Peter? Well, first there was a, they brought up Michael Jordan's brothers. That was, you know, I think something a lot of people can relate to that competition with your siblings and then driving you to get better at sports. It was funny when uh, Jordan's dad at one point says that his older brother, I think it was, was better than him. And I wonder what, uh, what Jordan would have done if he'd been in the room when his dad said that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I wonder. And then, um, yeah. So they so they go through the upbringing and how Michael Jordan gets so competitive, and yeah, they can relate it to his two older brothers, who he's constantly getting in fights with, and how his dad. It kind of seemed like his dad liked his older brother more. Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. He was more competent when it came to certain things. He's like, hey, I'm asking for a screwdriver and, you know, you give me the wrong thing, like, get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he basically says, if I ask Mike to get me a, a hammer, he's going to bring me a screwdriver. So I didn't ask him to help me with stuff. Yeah, so you kind of get this background of, all right, he's got two brothers. They're always competing. He's also vying for his, for his dad's love. And they go his, into, yeah. They go into his brother... Cycle. Yeah, his brother says at one point, you know, if somebody beat me back then, we'd have to fight. That's just how it was. So I hope that my parents are watching, and they feel a lot better about my relationship with my siblings now. 
Yeah, <laughs> I have two brothers, and we fought all the time, <laughs> especially on outcomes of sports. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing about it is I don't think – and I don't know how many people were expecting this, and we're going to focus on Jordan right now. How many people were expecting, like, the background of Jordan in this? Because I wasn't expecting it. I was expecting this just to be on the, the Bulls season, but it went into his upbringing – and then his, his North Carolina years, which as a Carolina fan, I liked. And I was like, this is awesome recruiting for us. <laughs> but I found it was, it was cool that like Dean Smith and Roy Williams were on the podcast, or I keep calling it the podcast, we're on the documentary. And, and They're coming on the podcast too? <laughs> yeah, they talk about how competitive he was when he came, when he, uh, came to Carolina and how they pushed him even more. And you're like, man, like I, I bet you, like I wonder if there's one moment in which they were like, this is like when he went from really good to great. Well, one thing that I took away from that was, or I guess two things really here. One, for a lot of casual sports fans, I think Dean Smith might not have been a name that they knew, and they should know that at this point. You know, if you follow college basketball, you should know who Dean Smith is. But a lot of the younger people, a lot of the Ron fans, per se, don't probably – know who Dean Smith is. But then also, Roy Williams is a heck of a TV personality. The way that he was talking during his interview and the uh, the facial expressions and the hand gestures that he had going recounting his, his conversations with, with Jordan during college. You know, that guy needs a talk show when he retires. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but about the Dean Smith, that is a good point. Not many people know him. And it's all archival um, footage of him. Um, and they, I wonder if they're going to talk more about their those two and their relationship, because throughout the documentary, Jordan and we'll get to this eventually, but Jordan just always has a love for Carolina, and they'll probably talk about him always wearing Carolina shorts and college and in the NBA that he wore in college, and I just got a feeling they'll go back to Dean Smith at some point, but seeing Roy Williams talk about how. He had a conversation. He's like, man, I did work hard in high school. He's like, yeah, but this like isn't high school. Like, <laughs> he's like, you work hard in high school. Like, no one cares. <laughs> and then he had like the famous line of, I never saw him like turn it off after that. Yeah. And, Lots yeah. of enunciation on off. Never. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think NBA players watching that, it might have been like, dang, like, I take off. <laughs> um, I, you know, they have that. Um, yeah, hopefully James Harden was tuning in. <laughs> yeah, just just the fact that they take uh, those those days off during the season when they could play. Days off, plays off, possessions. And I get it's incredible that people talk about a lack of, of defense, and you know, it picks up in the playoffs. But even in the playoffs, there are top guys in the NBA right now that take plays off on defense. Yeah, and it's not just the NBA. If we go to other sports, remember Manny Machado when it came to the playoffs and he thinks, <laughs> it's just like, oh, I hit a home run. And he gets like a single on a ball that hits the ball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's awesome to, to hear about, you know, this these stories from Hall of Fame coaches talking about him becoming the player he is. And then they go into – the championship game and they interview Patrick Ewing and 
Then they talk about him before he gets drafted, um, playing on the uh, USA basketball team and Bob Knight. Yep. Yeah, there was another one coming out of the archives for a lot of people, Bob Knight. Yeah, um, he was the winningest coach uh, a couple of years ago. Um, until Who's that now? Uh, Bob Knight. <laughs> <laughs> well, the winningest coach now? <laughs> people will call him Coach K. But um, Bob, <laughs> but Bob Knight at one, I, I believe he is the last coach to have an undefeated season in college basketball, if I'm not mistaken. If uh, anyone wants to say, who is Bob Knight? Well, that's who he is. Um, but he, he says he's the best basketball player he's ever seen. And this is before he's even in the NBA. It's a huge it, statement. Yeah, and it, it was right after he got drafted, which then I think, so here's how the, do you want to go over the draft of, <laughs> of Michael Jordan during that time? Because they kind of explain why he wasn't the top pick. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. Well, I mean, I think Akeem Olajuwon, that's why he wasn't a top pick, right? I think that's a, enough reason in and of itself. Yeah. yeah. And and there's another name from the archives. Yeah, and Akeem, he wins when Jordan retires in the 90s the first time. He wins two championships back-to-back. So he wasn't like a flash in the pan. He was good, and his team was good. And yeah, I call Akeem the dream. Has got to be good. <laughs> yeah, his his team in college was good, so it wasn't like he he was just this one and done guy. Like he's a Hall of Famer, that's understandable. And then they get into why Portland passes on Michael, who was a Player of the Year, and his team. I looked this up. They were the number one AP number one going into March in his junior year. So it wasn't like he was good his freshman year and was just kind of okay. He was, like, becoming even better, and his team was becoming better. So, yeah, do you remember who they picked number two and why? No, I don't. <laughs> they picked a guy named Sam Bowie, and they said because they had Clyde Drexler and they didn't need a guy similar to Clyde, to Clyde Drexler. Which <laughs> <bored him>. <laughs> <laughs> We all make mistakes, huh? <laughs> yeah, and then that summer he becomes the sensation for the U.S. basketball team, and the Chicago Bulls are like, man, we got it. Like, we're awesome. And then he comes out. Yeah. And, and yeah. they were very glad that the, the draft was before the USA basketball you know, played in the Olympics because of how well Jordan did and that he would have been the number one pick if the Olympics had been before the draft. Yeah, and that, that would just be interesting to see like him in Houston. Like, what would have happened then? <laughs> yeah, well, and it seems like one thing that comes out, you know, from the very beginning of this, when they start the episode, and oh, this is the last year they were together, it's the, the management, essentially. Like, this team during this era was mismanaged, you know? So if Jordan ends up in a different city with a different management structure, does he retire in the middle of his career? Does he end his career in 98 for the most part? You know, we can just ignore the Wizards. Who knows how many seasons he plays, you know? Yeah, and they had some – Jordan is – he's really smart when it came, when it comes to, like, him sitting and the stuff he was showing. Um, we'll get into the whiskey bottle. I don't know if you've heard about that. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's sitting there, and they ask him about his, his time with the Bulls in his first year and, like, how crazy they were. <laughs> so 
they had like a new owner, a new GM, and they're kind of mixing things up. And they call the team like the cocaine, like Michael Jordan and the like the eleven other cocaine people or something. It was like the Chicago Cocaine Circus or something. That's what they yeah. called it. That was the team that he got drafted to before he was even on. They called him that. Yeah, and yeah, you're like, man, like, what is going on in Chicago? That that he gets drafted there. The team is getting. Um, Ticket sales and attendance are lower than an indoor soccer team. You know, apparently everyone's doing cocaine. Like, they just brought in a guy who was like a, a baseball person to run the team. <laughs> what the hell is going on in Chicago? They got this, like, amazing college talent who's like, the sky's the limit. And, like, this is what he's got to deal with. So, basically, he's like, yeah, my mother hung out with me. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, my parents came up to Chicago all the time. <laughs> yeah, and, um, yeah, he just goes off. He basically – I'm. this is what I loved about him. I don't know how many other people took this up, but he was basically like, I had to prove my worth. Like, even as the number three pick, he had to prove that he deserved to be on the team. Yeah, not just be on the team, to, to lead the team. He talks about how he wants to lead the team and how he's not going to say anything to get there, but he's just going to prove it with how he plays. And he comes out, and they talk about that comeback win. I forget who it was against, but that, you know, after that performance, everybody was just like, yeah, he's the guy. Yeah, I think it might have it might have been Milwaukee because, like, the yeah, Jerry's – that sounds like, right. The logo, you're like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of the stuff is nostalgic, like – when they're showing the highlights of Jordan, um, they have like old music playing. They got LL Cool J and Rakim playing, which is like brings you back. And then you see like the the box logo, and you're like, what? What era is this? This is. In <laughs> the shorts, there's so much change in the shorts from Jordan in college to the highlights that they show later. Lots of length changing. <laughs> Yeah, and he was he was the one that kind of started that the the long pants, um, but yeah, so it kind of sets the stage of this amazing player that is respectful, but in this awful management and this awful team, and yeah, and then they go back and forth. They go to his past, and then they go to the present day, and when they get to the present day, they they really put. Jerry Krause, who was the GM, in a bad light. Did you notice that? Like that was kind of like the kind of like setting the stage of like he's the villain, and these guys are not the villain. At least in episode one. Yeah. So one thing I definitely agree with that. I read that. So part of the reason this documentary came out now is that Jordan had the rights to this footage. Essentially, Adam Silver was the guy who long before he was lead commissioner when this documentary was filmed was the guy behind getting it filmed and knew that this season was going to be the 97-98 season was going to be special for the Bulls and he orchestrated getting this camera crew in there the way that happened was he said Jordan had total control of when and how the film was released and produced so you know knowing that of course Jerry Krause is going to be in a bad light I think that they He's in a bad light and portrayed as the villain, but I think they also try to be fair because they talk about how Jordan and how Scotty and these guys just make fun of him right to his face. You know, they're like, oh, those pills are supposed to make you taller? Are those diet pills, Jerry? Yeah, and I I don't know what the rest of this, the, the show is going to be about, but I do respect if Jordan had all this creative control for actually 
showing that he was kind of a bully and a jerk to this guy. Um, yeah, so, there's film footage of him just insulting this guy to his face at practice. Yeah, and he's he's your boss, and you look at how great Jordan was when he first came in, that he was like, you know, i got to prove my worth in this. And then it's like, now he's like bullying the crap out of this guy in 97, 98, because he's the man, like he's untouchable, basically. If that was today's NBA, Jerry Krause would have been fired on the spot and they would have gotten a new GM. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, one of the ways they portray Jerry Krause as being the bad guy is they bring in Tim Floyd, a, a, a replacement for Phil Jackson, and he's hanging around and doing stuff, and... Jay Krause, he just seems like he wants to to dismantle them, and kind of he's kind of like Nero, like he wants like to burn the city and like just for like the warmth, you know. <laughs> they say that he's got you know like a Napoleon complex. He wants to have all the credit, you know. He he's a shorter guy, and I think in the documentary they even refer to him as he grew up as a, a short fat kid or something. It was it was a strong statement that I didn't expect to, to come out of that. But that, you know, he wanted the credit for the the whole success. And uh, I guess part of that will get into more with episode two and Scotty and how he kind of found Scotty. But but how are you going to measure up to Jordan, you know? Yeah, and it's it's understandable. Like, you shouldn't get it because you're not on the court making the result happen. Like, yes, you did help. But they remember, like, the players – the coach and then the GM, like it goes in that order, you know. Like when, like we're big Eagle fans, we talk about Nick Falls. We don't first. We don't talk about <laughs> how Howie Roseman pulled this and this off. We talk about the players first because they performed it. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I think that you know any GM now in any sport would talk that way too. Yeah, and I hope this kind of serves as a lesson in other aspects of life that like sometimes you don't get credit when you deserve it. Like Krauss deserves the credit. He made the team and we're going to slowly see all these players and transactions that he made to make it happen. Like sometimes you don't get the credit and it's okay. Like <laughs> put your ego to the side and, and yeah, you, you don't have to say anything. You just let your actions and the results of those speak for themselves. You know, that's what, that was Jordan's approach to getting leadership of the team. You know, he just came in and he played. And then he got the respect as a result. You know, if Jerry had made these moves and built a good team, the players would have respected that. When he tried to say it was him, not the players, or him more so than the players, or even equal to the players. Yeah, like, think about the Patriots. I can't tell you who the actual GM is for them. Yeah, but it's not like one day that this guy won like eight Super Bowls with the Patriots. I'm like, wow, he's the greatest <laughs> GM of all time. I had no idea who he was. Yeah, and those aren't even discussions that, that people have. You know, it's not like, oh, the Patriots GM's the best ever. You know, Bill and Tom are the best coach QB duo, and they've won all these Super Bowls. It's not, oh, the New England GM has won all these Super Bowls. Yeah, so I, I find it interesting that, you know, that they bullied him but also the fact that he was he was so into making like making them suffer according to the documentary that he told Phil Jackson to his face you can go 82 and 0 and you're not coming back next year they're coming off a 69 win season the year before <laughs> and two and two titles and you're telling them 
doesn't matter what he does, he will not come back the following year. So I, I kind of, yeah, yeah, I find that like mind blowing, but also kind of impressive that the Bulls, and this is a credit to Jordan because he was a leader, that they even gave a like a crap about the season. Like they could have just been like, we're not going to play, <laughs> trade yeah. us all right now. I think it speaks volumes to, to Jordan's determination and tenacity and then also Phil's ability to manage personalities as a coach. Yeah, I agree. So it, it goes into Krause a little bit and kind of his short background. And I feel like they'll reveal more about him as a person. He, it's sadly he can't speak on the matter and defend himself. Um, he died a, a handful of years ago. But, yeah, they don't put him in the right light, but – also, Reinsdorf, the owner, like every time he, he spoke, I scratched my head in episode one. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, it seems like he's trying to thread the needle between making it in the documentary and defending Gary. You know, it seems like he, he knows that Michael Jordan is the reason that the Bulls are worth what they're worth even today. But he was the guy who brought in Jerry to the White Sox and then the guy who brought Jerry from the White Sox to the Bulls. So Jerry is his responsibility. So this whole mess, he could have just been like, okay, new GM and solve the whole problem, but he didn't do that. So he shares some of that responsibility with Jerry Krause, but he, for obvious reasons, as a biggest owner, wants to have a good relationship with Michael Jordan still, even in the present. So he's kind of non-committal at times, I think, or threading that needle to try to make everybody happy. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they talk about Charles Oakley a little bit and how um, he was kind of like the guy that Michael Jordan really looked to. And then he ends up getting traded, which hurt him a little bit inside because he kind of lost that person. But you find out that, like, in the long run, Bill Cartwright helps him win his first few championships. So it was like a blessing in disguise for Jordan. He was just, like, too young to kind of realize it at the, at the point. And he, the, the current Jordan, when interviewed about that, says that, more or less, you know, that he wasn't happy to see Oakley leave, but that it was the right move for the team. I think he even uses the phrase, it was the right move for the team. Yeah. You know, so he, while Jerry Krause gets all this bad light, that's a compliment from Jordan to Jerry Krause. Yeah. Um, and Charles Oakley is the guy that coined Krause with the, with the name Crumbs. So it, like, might have started from him. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but it was okay to bully him because <laughs> that's what he saw Charles Oakley do. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, some, a viral moment or two viral moments we saw in episode one was Barack Obama has an appearance um, because the Chicago Bulls just blow up and they're, you know, there's this huge thing and then they interview – Obama, and he's basically like, yeah, I couldn't even go. <laughs> I'm the I'm a poor kid in Chicago. I can't go see the team. And you're like, oh, yeah, man. He, <laughs> he implies the tickets were dirt cheap then, too, and he still couldn't afford to go see him, you know, at least relative to what they are today. Yeah. So when they when they bust out, you know, Barack Obama in this documentary, I, like it gets you even more excited, like, what's coming up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who else is going to be on here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know about you, but episode two was my favorite out of the two. And although I love UNC, 
Um, episode two was about Pippin, and you just get this like background about him. Yeah, I think episode two is definitely where it picked up. Some of that stuff in episode one, I think, it are things that well, the the drama around the management of the team was very new, but I, you pick up that pretty quick, and then a lot of it are narratives that you already know. You know, Mike in that last shot in the the UNC championship game, being at UNC, you know, if you followed college basketball in the NBA and you followed Jordan even after his career, you would kind of know about some of those things. But Scottie Pippen and his history and the things that they really get into in episode two are things that I feel like are, are less known because of the relative stardom of Scottie to Jordan and the fandom behind Jordan. Yeah, and I can't remember if this was the end of episode one or the beginning of episode two. They played them back-to-back, but they go into um, Jordan's second season and his injury, and then coming back from that. Um, so he gets injured, and they say, oh, like, you have to wait. You can't come back. And he just can't handle it because he is, like, just – skyrocketing as one of the best players in the NBA, like, right now. Like He's just itching to play and itching to, to practice, to get better. Doesn't want to stop. Yeah. So he convinces um, management to let him go to Chapel Hill and recover there. And then they just show him playing, like, one-on-one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he talks about he started out playing one-on-one and then two-on-two and then three-on-three until he just built up to playing pick-up five-on-five as much as he could. Yeah, and, I, and I'm just like, no one today would be able to get that because <laughs> the way much more. Oh, yeah, there would be a tweet, you know, within five seconds of him playing one-on-one with somebody, and there would be viral videos all over there. Yeah, so he's playing. He could have possibly ended his career right there. Like, we we, we don't know. It could have happened. It's um, like that, uh, that video of Patrick Mahomes playing pickup. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> It went, it, I think it was before last season. It went viral. He had just signed a big contract. Whenever he signed his contract, right after that happened, this video comes out, and it, it's all over ESPN. It's him and dominating in a pickup game. And then it's like it's the off season, you know, and everybody's like, oh, he shouldn't be doing that. He's risking his career. But that's just, you know, if Jordan had done that today, that's what would have happened. Everybody on ESPN, every sports analyst would have been chastising him for putting his career in jeopardy. <laughs> yeah. Putting so the Bulls' money in jeopardy. Yeah. So he, he, he basically, and we'll probably find out, he does whatever he wants whenever he wants. <laughs> and, yeah, he comes back, and he and this blew my mind. A 31 team makes the playoffs in an 82-team <laughs> <team> schedule. <laughs> I guess some things never change about the Eastern Conference, huh? <laughs> yeah, like 30 wins, like, good Lord. <laughs> Like, the worst team in the NBA when they stopped right now had 15 wins. <laughs> I'm like, they're only, there. <laughs> yeah, they're only a few games away from making the playoffs. <laughs> like that's embarrassing. But he makes the playoffs, and then you go into uh, his first um, – when he plays the Celtics and the four yeah. Hall of Famers. Yeah, he, a dominant Celtics team. A Celtics team that is one of the best teams in NBA history. Yeah, and they just show him, like, schooling everybody. He drops 49 in the first game in a losing effort, and they clearly know he's the only one they need to stop. And he drops 14 more points than 49 against 63, <laughs> and, and still happens to lose. 
which just shows you like how bad they started off. <laughs> that you can score sixty-three points and still lose. There's probably not many people that have had that happen to in the NBA ever, because that's a lot of points right there off the bat. <laughs> and yeah. and that's the that is still the the record for most games for most points in a playoff game in NBA history. His second ever playoff game. Yeah. And it really sets the stage of, all right, he is exploding. If he gets more people around him, like this, like they're going to just dominate the NBA. So the second episode is basically Pippen joining them. And it was my favorite learning about him. I don't know about you, but I didn't know about some of that stuff with Pippen growing up. Yeah, I think there were two things. The, the upbringing was very interesting. I didn't know any of that. Too, I've always been enamored by Scottie Pippen's voice, hearing him on you know, The Jump and other shows on ESPN. So I was very curious what the rest of his family sounds like. like is this genetic? Does he, did he have something, you know, bronchitis or something? Is that why he sounds like this? But a lot of his family sounds, at least the men in his family, do have that, that pretty deep voice. And it, it changes a lot through time. His voice is much deep, deeper now than it was in those recordings from his college days and things like that. Yeah, I was. I didn't really know it. I wasn't paying attention to the um, the voices of the family, but now I might have to. <laughs> just has such a distinct voice. I was, I was watching out. <laughs> yeah, but um, Pippen has got like a heartbreaking upbringing of what happens to his family. I I I want someone to watch it and sort of kind of say it, but it's it's awful. He gets to college, and I this again wouldn't happen now. He basically interns for the team and is asking to join the team as a walk-on. <laughs> yeah, he's the manager for the team, so he's just doing the laundry, rolling out the ball racks before and after practice. Maybe they're letting him shoot around with him some. And then he says that you know a couple of guys failed off the team, and he convinces the coach to give him one of those spots. Yeah, and, and then, the, then throughout the summer he gains like six, seven inches and then it's just six seven and it's massive and just dominates. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's a, a a parallel between Jordan and between Pippen is the the continued growth. You know, for for Jordan, he didn't make the team in the beginning of high school, and then he makes the team, and then there's that growth. And it was the same thing with with Pippen. He wanted to play, except you know now this is college, and he doesn't have an offer. He's not on the team, but he sticks around and he works at it. And he gets that spot. Yeah, and they're both these people from basically the middle of nowhere at the time. Like somewhere Arkansas is still the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Like middle of nowhere in Arkansas. Uh, Wilmington, North Carolina is not that big and well known of a town and North Carolina, you know, is like a southern like people focus on New York and big city players and here are these two. And I think I I don't know who said it, but they're like, yeah, these country boys <laughs> <laughs> they they come into the league and, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, but um, it was – uh, what did you think of Pippen and they flash for, uh, fast forward to the 97-98 and Pippen is sitting out? Do you want to get into that? Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. That really – it's a whole other storyline that factors into this season, right? First, there's the, the management issues and Jerry Krause wanting to blow up the team. And what they get into in both these episodes that we haven't really mentioned yet is that it's the the owner who says, no, Jerry Krause really wanted to blow up the team before this season. He wanted to move pieces around. He wanted Phil out of there. The owner stepped in and kept Phil around for that, signs him to a one-year deal for 
97-98. And then in addition to all of that, Scotty had signed this long-term contract for not a ton of money over the, the total length of the contract. And before this season, he's essentially, you know, after the, the championship for the 96-97 season, he, I guess, got hurt and needed surgery, but he puts it off, waits well into the off season to have this surgery because he's essentially going to use that to hold out to try and get a new contract. But the, they interview the Bulls owner, and he says that he told Scottie Pippen to never sign this contract. And he also says he told Jordan to never sign his contract for the same reason, because they should both have signed shorter contracts for more money, in his opinion. Yeah, which I find crazy. Like, you could have gave him more money then. Like, that's something you wouldn't see in today's game. And I have this um, this reading from uh, the Tar Heels website, because they recapped the season. And, it was, and this is about Pippen and Jordan and their contracts. And I'm just going to just quote it. Um, there was some discussion of Scottie Pippen's contract situation and the fact that Pippen was underpaid by the Bulls. But in Chicago's first championship year of 1991, Pippen made $2.7 million while Jordan made $3.2. And the next year, Pippen made $3.4 and Jordan made $4 million. So at, and that's, I, I wonder if Jordan left that out to give Pippen more respect that he wasn't making a lot. But in the beginning, Jordan wasn't making squad either. And you're looking at in the beginning, he's clearly the best player in the NBA. Like we proved it in episode one. Like, yeah, and the other the other players in episode one, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, they're saying that Jordan, you know, is on the cusp of being the best player in the league, if not already the best player. In the league. Yeah, and the fact that that's how much he was making in their first championships is also mind blowing. And I kind of like that they left it out because it gives Pippen. You give Pippen more respect for why he signed his contract and why he's holding out. Well, in the yeah, Scotty says that he signs that contract. You know, the present day Scotty says he signs that contract because he wanted to have financial stability. He wanted a long term contract because he always wanted to be able to send money home to his family. So the the background story to start the episode about his family really helps you understand why he's doing it and why he would you know, sign on to what's not a player friendly contract. Yeah, and in today's age with the contracts they sign immediately out this wouldn't be a problem he would have plenty of money to go around for his family that he would be in control right now and it's this episode is like him trying to get control and get money because and now fast forward to 97 98 jordan's making in the 30s of millions of dollars and pippen they say is the 122nd highest paid player and everyone is like he's the second best player in the NBA right now <laughs> and he's like leading the, the team in I think assist and number two in everything else yeah insane yeah and something I noticed with uh, Michael Jordan there was two things he said that Scottie Pippen couldn't have won any of those championships without Scottie Pippen. And that's how much he loved them. And, and in fact, Tracy McGrady, the year before, could have been traded in the draft for Pippen, and Michael Jordan said no. Um, so just imagine what could have happened with their two careers if that trade went through and Jordan said 
No. But the other thing Jordan said was that to start the season for the surgery and holding out is that he thought Pippen was being selfish. And that's today's Jordan that said it. Yeah. Well, that was, I think that first speaks to his competitive nature. You know, and part of the reason that he had this distrust for the management is because he wanted to win. And that's kind of the underlying theme is he wanted to, he just wanted to win games and win championships. He wasn't concerned about, you know, building the team or building the franchise. He was concerned about coming out every night and competing at the highest level. And then to go back to those things you said right before that, Jordan says, you know, people shouldn't say Jordan without saying Pittman. And that's how much of a, of a role Scotty played in, in his success in his career. And then Yeah. Um, so it kind of ends before Pippen is back playing. But um, another viral quote um, that um, happened in episode two was Pippen. And he said, I'm not going to F my summer up with the surgery. <laughs> yeah, yeah I think These I guys on the Bulls seem to, to like to enjoy their time off too. You know, and I think we're going to get into more of that some in episode three. But I remember, the, so the other thing was the McGrady trade. Imagine what would have happened. So if that trade goes through, what does that do? You know, one, it breaks up Pippen and Jordan, but that probably extends Jordan's career. I think that, you know, T-Mac had some, some knee issues, I guess, and his career was short. But the, the beginning of his career and what really would have been his prime would have been the end of Jordan's prime and the twilight of Jordan's prime. And those two things overlapping, I think that who's a better player, T-Mac or Pippen? I think that's a, probably a discussion for a better time, but I think that T-Mac is probably a better offensive weapon. Yeah, but um, I think what helped Pippen a lot was that every single day he had to go against Jordan and keep up with Jordan because, according to Roy Williams, he never turned it off. So yeah. <laughs> imagine the practices, like Pippen had to step it up. And I think his, his upbringing helped it, but also by always having a person that never turned it off, I think that made Pippen so much better than what he was that it would be interesting to see. All right, we put Tracy McGrady, this 18-year-old out of high school, in that same situation with him. I wonder how he would have thrived. Yeah, did he have the, the work ethic and the discipline to put that work in day in and day out at that level of intensity and scrutiny? Yeah, and um, it would have been interesting to see Pippen in a Toronto Raptors uniform with Vince Carter Yeah, for a couple of years, and I think they might have had Damon Stoudemire. You know, like, how good could that have team been? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? But... um. Yeah, it was. It, it left you wanting more about like what's going to happen, and unfortunately, we have to wait a whole week to get to this. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I think it, that one thing that comes out of talking about all these trades and all these other you know, players in the league at this time, you know, we already mentioned the team Olajuwon. You know, Tracy McGrady's coming into the league. Scotty Pippen, Larry Bird, and Magic Johnson overlap with Jordan. People always like to talk about how Jordan didn't play against any competition. So I think watching these. And if you Google some of these names, you don't recognize them, you might have more of an informed opinion about that. Yeah, and you also have to look at the people around um, the Bulls roster as well. 
Because, like, besides these players, like, they have, like, Bill Lennington and Luke Longley. Like, these are people that if you didn't follow the Bulls, you wouldn't know the names of them. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, and if Michael wasn't on that team, no one would know their names now. You know, why do we know Steph Losha? Because he played with KD. We know uh, Anderson Verjao because he played with LeBron. Would anyone know Anderson Verjao if it wasn't for LeBron? <laughs> yeah. Delonte <Yeah>. West. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that uh, what they're doing with this documentary by putting two episodes and then making you want more is a great thing, a great marketing tool, because in the day of binging, people would have watched this that night and oh, yeah. it would have been over and done with. Now you get like a month or five weeks to talk about it. Well, and you still get two episodes in a row, so you get a little bit of that binge fix, but then you have to wait. Yeah, and um, some things that I uh, that I saw online that we haven't talked about, but it's not really related to the documentary too much, but people are obsessed with Michael Jordan's whiskey glass so far, and there's people trying to figure out how high it is, how low it is, when he's saying <laughs> things. Have you looked at this? No, I haven't, but I'm about to. <laughs> it's amazing. Supposedly it's like a $300 whiskey glass and it's sitting next to him and he's lounging and there's a cigar there. And the theory is that it is his brand's tequila in the bottle or in the glass. And the, the bottle is like $1,800, $1,600. It's like <laughs> way up there. And he's in there with a few other owners for this brand and he's a great marketer so it makes sense that it's his own but that's the theory and then the other theory about the whiskey glass is that he starts becoming more truthful the less <laughs> but the director, yeah the director's like uh it could have been i don't know we were like we were doing different cuts but someone compiled that when there was left more um out of the glass that's when he said pippin was selfish and yeah. when it was half full he was like, I, you would be, there would be no Michael Jordan without Pippen. <laughs> and when it was full, he was hating on Jerry Krause. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I think he was hating on, hating on Jerry Krause the whole time. So. <laughs> full, medium, and empty, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it makes me want to go back and rewatch this and also pay attention to his whiskey glass in episodes three and four. Oh, yeah, I'll definitely be tuned into that going forward. Yeah, there's some things that we haven't heard of, um, and I don't know if, if you know about the Kerr and Jordan fight. No. Um, so Kerr is open about it, and it is all over, um, like interviews and stuff in which he and Jordan got in a fight um, the year after he came back from retirement, his first retirement, and he kind of wanted to prove, he wanted to see who was still there that gave a crap and who would like put him as a leader role and who he could push. And he started pushing Kerr in practice and <laughs> Kerr started pushing back. <laughs> and, and then it got pretty physical and Kerr went down the lane and Jordan took him out. <laughs> and then he got up and they're in his face and, According to Kerr, like they got moved, and he had a black eye, and he didn't know how he got it. <laughs> he got a black eye. Didn't know how. 
And um, yeah, he's been, he said, I got Jordan's trust after that because I wasn't backing down. <laughs> so he's like, that just made about Jordan not being fast enough to play in today's NBA, but he was fast enough to punch Steve Kerr in the eye, and Steve Kerr didn't even know it. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like, but uh, yeah, I'm ready to see that on there. Hope I wonder if they have footage of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, they already interviewed Steve Kerr once or twice, so maybe he'll be back for that. Yeah, and they're going to focus on Dennis Rodman and his craziness because I remember seeing that when I was young. You know, that's my dad. Like, who is this guy? You know, like he's in a dress and a wig. Like, this guy's a clown. But yeah, I wonder if they'll bring on Kim Jong Un for the Dennis Rodman part. <laughs> yeah, like they brought on two presidents so far, two former presidents. <laughs> yeah, I would not be shocked if they couldn't get that, or even like old, like Kim Jong Il talking about the Bulls because he was a huge Bulls fan, you know? Yeah. Like it's got me hyped. You got any uh, predictions of what may happen? Like any, any things they may get into that, you know, we had no idea. Well, the, the trailer for, for episode three talks about Rodman wanting a vacation in the middle of the season. Okay. I think this is right after, or I think it's right around the time that Pippen comes back from the injury. Rodman goes to Phil and says that he he wants a, a vacation. He needs a vacation. And in the trailer, they're interviewing Phil about this, and Phil says he calls Michael into the office, and they're also interviewing Michael about this, and one after the other. And essentially what happens is Phil and, and Dennis are in the, the office, and Michael walks in, and Phil goes, you know, Michael, Dennis wants to tell you something. And then Michael today in the interview is like, and it's never good when Dennis wants to tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> It comes out that he wants a vacation. And Jordan's like, the hell do you mean you want a vacation? Yeah, we're, we're in the middle of the season. And Phil's like, can you do it in 48 hours? And Dennis is like, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> so it, it seems like this episode is going to be you know, start out with with him taking this 48-hour vacation to Las Vegas. It's <laughs> like going wild and letting loose. I wonder... So here's something, and I hope they bring him in. The Smashing Pumpkins lead singer is really good friends with Dennis Rodman. Like, oddly enough, because he grew up in Chicago. So I'm predicting he's going to pop on and talk about Rodman. I heard him on a – I think it was the Joe Rogan podcast talking about how crazy Rodman is and that, like, when he wants to leave, he'll just get up and walk away and won't tell you that he's leaving. And he said that he saw him – this might have been like 2010, 2011, that he, he met him and first time in like maybe like a decade or two in a club and they hang out and Rodman just gets up and walks away and he doesn't know that he left. And the next day he turns the TV on and he's in North Korea hanging out with Kim Jong-un. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> that was fast. Got right on a plane. Yeah, he's like he didn't even tell me he was leaving that like to go anywhere. And he's just <laughs> he's meeting the leader of North Korea, and he couldn't even mention it to me. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. I hope there's some background at some point about you know. I guess it's kind of outside the realm of the documentary, but how did that relationship even start? I don't. The Dennis Rodman what, North Korea relationship. That's well, the North Korean both Kim Jong Un and Il. They both love the Bulls, the 90s Bulls. I don't know if there was a specific... And Rodman is the only one crazy enough to, to take the bait, I guess, and 
I guess. Unless they loved him because he was the crazy one. Could be. <laughs> but imagine, I would love to know how much they would have paid to have those Bulls play like in front of them live. Like Pablo Escobar paid a lot of soccer players to play on his field like and had amazing games. What would North Korea <laughs> have paid for the 98 Bulls to come and just play in front of them, you know? <laughs> I don't know what those budgets are like, though. Pablo Escobar might have had more money than North Korea. Yeah. He was, like, the fourth richest person in the world. Yeah. Scale for inflation and compare across the, the time periods of it. Pablo Escobar has more money than North Korea. Yeah, yeah it would not be yeah, That would be insane if that was true. Yeah, but just imagine, like, the basketball, how great of a basketball game that would be if <laughs> that no one saw except, like, a handful of people. <laughs> Yeah. Space Jam was actually uh, conceived of because of North Korean threats to take talents from <laughs> basketball players. Monstars were really the North Koreans. Yeah, um, I, I, some of this pike, some of this documentary that I, I wonder is, is it all going to be like all shot in one thing, or is Michael Jordan going to be somewhere else interviewing? Like, how many times did they go and talk to these people? Like, did they talk to them throughout the years, and we're going to see other stuff, or is it just? The 90s and before, and then now, you know? Well, it seems like they're pulling some, I don't know, that Jerry Krause clip about how he was misquoted on his quote about you know, the roles of coaches, GMs, and players. It was unclear when the, the clip was from where he was saying that he was misquoted. You know, was that before the 97-98 season, or was that after that season, you know, but, you know still in the, the 90s? Yeah, I when I watched it, I just assumed it was like immediately after because of the backlash that he got for um, yeah, basically saying that um, it's not just a player. It, it, what was he? He had two quotes. So what was the one they quoted? Was, him at he he said that that players and coaches don't win championships alone. It's GMs and the front office. But the quote, he was quoted as saying that without a loan. So he's, the quote that got put into the press was that players and coaches don't win championships. GMs and the front office do. Yeah, and that kind of, like, it sets the tone of how bad is it going to get um, for the management in this documentary, you know? <laughs> like, well, I, I think that this relationship probably sets a – it changes the culture and the perspective around the sports world, you know, and across every league about that relationship between the front office and the players. Yeah. Because now that would never happen now. You would assume it wouldn't happen. It wouldn't not, you know, I'm sure that, you know, maybe like the Clippers old owner, there are some, there are different owners in different front offices, but the, uh, Donald Sterling, you know, I can see maybe his front office saying something like that, or other organizations, but that's pretty that's behind closed doors. The whole Donald Sterling thing was uh, leaked to the press. It wasn't just out in the open like this comment was. Yeah. Um, I think this is going to be, like, a good lesson for a lot of management and players of how to act with each other, that, like, these, this was, like, the best team and best – group of players of all time and 
the management and the players couldn't get along and they dissolved something that could have gone on forever because according to Kraus, they needed to rebuild and management and get younger, but they just came off a 69-win season, which was the best until the Warriors beat it, and they win the championship that year too. Like, why would you need to rebuild it? And that's something that um, I wonder if they will get into Tim Floyd's quote, but he he has said it, um, I think he said it this week, or he said it back in the past, and then just re- mentioned it again this this time. But he said, yeah, he wanted to see them ha- die a natural death and not get traded. And that's kind of like, that's awesome. you know. <laughs> like, that's kind of what we wanted to see. But unfortunately, like, and this hopefully is a warning, like, it didn't happen that way. It wasn't a natural death. Yeah, and well, basketball is a very different sport than football, per se. Like, the Patriots dynasty has had a lot of success with that, moving on from players at the right time. But in football, you have 22 starters, and in basketball, you have five. So the relative contribution for players is much higher in basketball. So moving one piece has a much larger impact than in football. So it's not the same approach where you can just move on from a guy at the right time and benefit and most organizations in the NFL, I feel like, don't have success at moving on from the right time. That's something that is almost exclusive to the Patriots. So trying to apply that sort of logic to, to basketball and people, you know, thinking about these things now are probably looking at through this lens of all the, all the Patriots do it. So Jerry Krause was probably on the right track. But how old are the guys in the NBA now? Like LeBron is older than Jordan at this point. Yes, and he was certainly LeBron's been in the league more years than Jordan was at this point. You know, I forget the exact ages; I'd have to look them up. But there was so much left in these guys, in both Scotty and in Jordan, after the '97, '98 season, and going into that season. Yeah, and I'm going to look up how long Scotty Pippen lasted in the league because we know Jordan took a few more years off, and then came back. And was moderately successful. I mean, I think he scored 20-some points a game after that when he was with the Wizards. But let's see how long Scottie Pippen lasted in the league. They have, according to basketball reference, he was 6'8", so he must have grew an inch. (laughs) Um, Huh. He went to 2003-2004. So he went to Houston for a year. Portland for four, and then back to Chicago for six. And during those times, he was still getting – he's got a little bit less minutes, except for in Houston. He got 50. But he was getting 30-plus minutes a game until his final year. I think that he and Charles Barkley were both in Houston that year. I think I saw a picture somewhere this week with both of them side-by-side in Houston. Okay. Let me click it. Um, he aver- he, his numbers definitely went down, which is understandable. Uh, I don't think they have the list of the team right here. But, um, yeah, the, the um, Scottie Pippen era with the Bulls was definitely the most successful. And then once he left, um, his numbers went down. Let's see what it is. Yeah, it's three-point percentage. Yeah. Well, and this, I think this is a good 
point to to bring up one of the critiques in the LeBron Jordan debate, which is sort of the the subtweet, if you will, to this whole documentary is the LeBron Jordan debate, right? And the, I even heard that Jordan gave the okay to Adam Silver to move forward this documentary the day after the Cavs won the 2016 championship. You know, so he, Jordan sees that and is like, okay, go ahead, we'll we'll publish the footage, you know. But one of the, the critiques is that Jordan wasn't as good at making his teammates better like LeBron does. And I think when people think about that, they're looking at it, probably assist numbers. But if you look like you're talking about, it's guys' numbers in Chicago versus in Houston or these other places afterwards. That's, what's the difference? You know, it's playing with Michael. Even if you're not passing the ball necessarily or as much as people might want you to, which if I'm coaching Michael Jordan, I'm never talking about passing the ball. But, you know, he's taking defenders away from people. He's getting people open just by being on the floor. Yeah. Um, Dennis Rodman, he lasted a few more seasons. He went to the Lakers, which I kind of remember. Do you remember that? And then he went to Dallas. <laughs> I kind of do remember both of those. Yeah, so he lasted two years afterwards. How long do you think Kurt lasted? I don't know know very much at all about Kerr's career besides that he was on the Bulls. That's all I know about his career. Yeah, I knew he was a sharpshooter back in the day. Average six points a game. But you always felt like it was a lot more than that. Um, he lasted until the 03 season. So, so three of the players, or two of the players besides Jordan, lasted until 2003. So they still probably could have went to the 2000, let's say, as productive players. And you could have done a slight rebuild. But, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate because you are because you know what's going to happen at the end. And you're just watching it slowly get worse. Well, and it, the strangest thing is that it seems like Jerry Krause had success in the, in the draft. He drafted Pippen. He drafted Michael. So why wouldn't you just try to continue to build through the draft? You know, and then you're bringing in this young talent to complement your your aging players, and you're not worried about moving that those pieces because you also have this younger talent. So you kind of have this balanced structure. Yeah, and uh, it would have been interesting if Jordan, like we talked about McGrady, like how how good was Krause if Jordan wasn't stopping him from trading people a few years before, like Pippen and McG- and getting McGrady, like. Would they have had like a a few more championships in addition to what they got with Pippen? Like, because clearly some of these players would have lasted a little bit longer. Could have, could, uh, could have Jordan got two more years in the Bulls organization um, and got two more in championship caliber years, you know, yeah. 98, 99, 99, 2000. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the last thing I want to say about this um, this documentary so far for episode one and two is Michael Jordan is on record as saying he is not playing for another coach in Chicago. And, and it seemed like they were still going through it. Like if your best player that you want to rebuild around is saying, I am, I am leaving 
some way or another, I'm not going to be here if you take another coach. And you still are like, let's try to do this rebuild. What are you thinking? <laughs> when the, the coach rebuild makes the least sense. Like players, obviously there's a relationship between quality of play and age. You know, but that's not the same for a coach. That's probably the opposite even for a coach. And we know, especially in retrospect, that Phil still had plenty of good years coaching left. So that is, that's the part that makes the least sense is that is the Jerry Krause, Phil Jackson relationship and why Jerry wanted Phil out of town. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it because Phil Jackson goes on and makes another dynasty in LA. And, um, yeah, now you have Shaq coming out saying his team could beat the Bulls. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have the same coach. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, do you have any comments, like any reactions that you saw by players or anything on on the first two episodes that you've read? Yeah, I think the, the funniest thing that I saw today was this meme about the, uh, the LeBron doc that'll come out. And it was, uh, let me see if I can find it. It was talking about what each episode of the LeBron doc would be based on his performances in NBA Finals. <laughs> yeah. But it was like, it was it was not great. It was not good for him. The highlight was like episode four beats 20-year-olds. <laughs> but it was like, gets wrecked by the Spurs, gets saved by Kyrie, gets saved by Ray Allen. Yeah. Well, one of them, it was, uh, I don't know if it was during him, but one of the Spurs championships was lost because of that referee. Was was that the one that LeBron won? Because that referee is in jail. Remember that for the gambling? And he tried yeah, to- I remember the, the scandal with that ref. I think that I'm not positive on the time frame. Of those two things, I think that that ref and that scandal occurred prior to LeBron beating the Spurs in the finals. Okay, I I do remember that uh, Tim Duncan could have another championship if he knew how to make a layup. That <laughs> 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 that might have been the championship against against LeBron. I can't remember. I feel like the Spurs have been in so many championships; they all go together, and we don't talk about them nearly enough. But. Well, yeah, and the yeah, and their and the impact of that team and essentially Greg Popovich and his teams on other great players and that are in that discussion of, of best of all time. You know, not only did they beat LeBron in the finals, but they stopped Kobe from getting to the finals. You know, yeah, and those those teams were awesome. They kind of ended the Pistons' short run in the championship with that amazing defensive team of Ben Wallace and then yeah, Chauncey Billups. Who Chauncey yep. Billups, by the way. Rashid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, beat Trey Young and Horace, the guy supposedly the best shooter in the NBA. He <laughs> beat him <laughs> in a game of Horace as a guy that hasn't played in 15 years. <laughs> I don't know if that means that the NBA is not as good as back in the day or Chauncey Billups and the Pistons were just that good. Yeah, to see it. 
Yeah, but a LeBron documentary. LeBron is basically trying to do what Jordan has done. Just he's a poor man's Jordan when you look at it. He's trying to do uh, Space Jam two, and no one wants to be with him. <laughs> he wears his number. It's been what over well over a decade that Space Jam two has been rumored to be coming out next year, right? Yeah, Blake Griffin was the first rumor. Is going to be a part of, and then they realize he's not as great as what Jordan was. So let's find somebody else. <laughs> and then I don't know what it took to get LeBron to jump in on it. But, yeah, the uh, what I've heard from NBA players was Kevin Durant saying that if Jordan played right now, he would be the best player. So I think the doc, the two first two episodes convinced Durant. Of how great uh, how great Jordan is, um, even back then, and people try to talk smack, but you got to put it in perspective of like what they had available to them and how much better he was with the things available to him. Yeah, and then people will say that you know Scotty was better than any teammate that that LeBron has ever had, you know, relative to their position in the league. Which, which might be true, but the depth that LeBron has had on a lot of these teams, especially his championship teams, compared to the, the depth of these Bulls teams is very different. Yeah, I agree. And we, people forget how good Kevin Love was and how much he sacrificed to go to the Cavaliers. And he still gets that. You know, he still gets talked bad about, but his sacrifice made them what they are. And also, you mentioned uh, Kyrie Irving with that shot. <laughs> yeah. Somebody has to hit the shot so LeBron can win the finals. <laughs> People will say that, that LeBron – I saw a comment on a thread this week that said LeBron was better at shooting threes than Michael Jordan, and that was just mind-blowing. And people will pull up the percentages, you know, and things like that, but just the eye test. If you watch these guys play and just the way the ball comes out of their hands, like you know who's the better shooter. You don't need anything else. Yeah, and in and in the game of when Jordan played, he didn't need to make the threes like that. Like, yeah, I saw a heat map of uh everywhere Jordan shot from in his career. Like uh, in the hotter areas where higher density he shot from there more. And the cool areas he didn't shoot from as much. He barely had any shots along the three-point line. Well, he had a couple just on the edge, you know, barely threes. And then they show these for for LeBron, and then also for Harden. And over Harden's career, he's like only taking layups and threes. And Jordan was dominating in like the ten to fifteen foot range. You know, one-two dribble, pull up. Yeah, and that's where you can kill defenses. Is right there. It's because it's right before you get that second person to come in. And, when the, and the three just wasn't the same part of the game that it is today. You know, people live and die by the three very much so now. Whereas with those clips from Jordan in college, there wasn't a three-point line. When he hits that game, when he shot for UNC, there's no three-point line in college. Yeah, and um, I was listening to Billy Donovan talk today, and it's him with Patino, and when – they uh, went to Europe. They saw how many threes that they're shooting. And Patino was like, we need to do that here. 
And that kind of was like the start of how many, like we're shooting 23s. We need to be shooting like in the 30s, which is almost like a three a minute. And that's basically what the NBA is now. And that was 20 years ago is when they're saying that. So now go even before that, <laughs> before yeah. you develop this type of league. Yeah, and yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the NBA and the numbers that are put up now because I feel like 50 points can get put up easily just because of how many possessions they play. Which just right. means the, the possessions, the pace, the defense. Yeah, which means like the ones in the, the people that played in the 90s, like it was so much more important to make your shots because you had less of them. And the, the way that the game was called, you know, you weren't going to take 30 foul shots. Yeah, um, it was more physical. Um, Steve Kerr mentions that in the clip that I saw when he was talking about getting beat up. He mentions about how physical the practices were compared to now, that they're not physical. They're just kind of like going through the motions to get ready for the game. But, like, he's like, yeah, man, it was like, brutal going through each practice every time because everyone's going super hard, just elbows. He's like, we got, there's tons of fights all the time. He's like, I don't see fights ever right now. <laughs> like, fights were necessary because of how hard everyone played back then. Like it, every, every time you touch the ball, it meant something huge. Yeah, so I definitely think that when people try to say Le- LeBron and Michael Jordan and those players couldn't play now. They definitely could play. Yeah. <laughs> See what players now without the the million dollar chefs giving them, you know, <laughs> some, a lot of proteins and these personal trainers. Like if we put them on the regiment that, that they had back then, how many of those would be great players back then? Yeah, and the, the differences in what people call athleticism between the league then and now, I think, are really just advances in speed and strength training. Yeah, it's yeah, I completely agree. And it's tough to go from generation to generation and say, oh, this player like Bill Russell doesn't count to be one of the best players ever because he played in such and such. I think the best players would be the best in any era you put them in. And then Yeah, and you just kind of know that putting them in that era means that they they were raised under the same training conditions, the same dietary conditions, you know, controls for those other areas. Yeah, and they're the ones that took it seriously way more than everybody else. Like Jordan took everything seriously. Pippen took it seriously. They could play in any era you put them in. Even 20 years from now when they're talking about, you know, LeBron and Kobe, like, oh, like, they couldn't survive. Like, no. (laughs) (laughs) I saw a a clip this week that at a Jordan basketball camp, Chris Paul bet Jordan uh, that if he missed a shot during this, I don't know, the whole camp was there like watching. And Chris Paul bet Jordan that if he missed one shot out of all these shots he had to shoot, that Jordan had to buy a pair of Jordans for every kid at the camp. And he hit every single shot. It's kind of like, man, you're such a dick. You could have missed one at the last, the last one on purpose, you know? He's <laughs> too competitive. Losing yeah. is not an option. I know, but it's funny because he could have got them all on their seat like, oh, man, we're not going to win. And he just dismisses it and, like, winks at a kid like, yeah, 
I could have made it for you, but <laughs> but yeah, it's so competitive. I heard a couple years ago, uh, kid Giltris, when he got drafted number one to the to the uh, Hornets. I don't even know how good he is right now in the league. Like that's how many people come and go in the league. But he well, he wanted to play um, Jordan one on one and lost and got destroyed. It was like eleven to one was a score. <laughs> and, and Jordan was 50 years old at the time, and and Gilchrist was like 18, 19. You know, yeah. <laughs> number one pick in the draft. <laughs> he he keeps himself at that competitive level, and I think he will do that until you know, probably in a walker or something. He, I'm sure that he's still at somewhat of a competitive level, but he's a little softer than he was, undoubtedly. Sitting in that armchair with his whiskey and his cigar, you can tell. Yeah. But like you said, he's he's fifty. He deserves it at this point. Yeah, well, he's over fifty now. Cause yeah, fifties. <laughs> yeah. Well, Peter, um, thanks for joining us again for the podcast. I appreciated it. Yeah, you uh, be here, no problem. Yeah. So, if anyone is interested in watching this documentary. Um, episodes three and four will be airing on Sunday at nine o'clock on ESPN. And I, um, I heard they will be going to Netflix eventually. If you're out of the country listening to this, I think they're all on Netflix and not just America gets to find out what happens each week. I don't know how to, uh, that's what I'm told. I don't know if that's actually the case, but um, that's where you can follow this documentary and tune in next week for the recap of episodes three and four. Thanks.